Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burrigan campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are this morning. We declare that you are a good, good God. We know that we're not always that great, actually, Jesus, at acknowledging your goodness. And we're not always that good at seeing your fingerprints in our lives, your goodness, which is all around us. And sometimes it's just because we don't notice, and sometimes it's because we're distracted, and sometimes it's because we're broken. We're curved in on ourselves. But when we stop and we reflect and when we have the eyes to see, we actually say and declare as one people that our lives are just full of your goodness and that actually you have always been good to us. So you're faithful, you're kind, just, holy, always good. And so we lift up your name in this place this morning. We want to declare your goodness, declare your faithfulness. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that as we come and we worship, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be blessed, that you would receive the honor and the glory that is rightfully yours due to your name, and then you'd grace us by working in us, in us as individuals, but us as a community, as a people that you would draw us close and that you would make us more like your son. That is our prayer this morning, that you would be blessed, but that you would bless us by working in us and revealing yourself to us in a new and a fresh way. This we pray for in the precious name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You can take a seat. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to church. It's wonderful to be here with you this morning as we launch our new series, Being Thankful. Now, it's, it's worth saying, by the way, I think that we're actually pretty good at this. It's not like all well, the pastors sat around and were like, you know what our people suck at? They suck at thankfulness. We need to preach into that. That's not what's behind this, all right? I would say, and we all kind of spoke about this as we sat around the table together, that there's generally a sense of thankfulness and appreciation around this place. I would say that's true. A lot of encouragement, a lot of thankfulness. There's always room for growth. That's, that's always true, right? And thankfulness isn't always easy for us. Well, that's really just the reality of our flesh. It's our constant battle. How do we know this to be true? Well, all the parents in the room would say, you don't have to teach your children to be selfish. They kind of figure that one out all on their own. But on the other side of the coin, you have to work really really hard to instill some kind of thankfulness into them. I think I've told this story before, but I remember arguing with my mom nearly every Christmas because I was just convinced that she was stealing from me. Now, that sounds worse than it actually is, but essentially my mom would take the money that people had given me for Christmas and, and, and put it towards something that my parents had organized, right? There's nothing particularly controversial about that. We do the same thing with Seb. And we get my parents, yeah, I know, ironic, isn't it? But (laughs) 10-year-old me wouldn't know that I would do that. And cycle of abuse can do I'm only joking. My mum's a good person. (laughs) She's a wonderful lady. She sometimes listens. She's a wonderful person. Okay, right. 
Or we do the same thing with Seb, right? We get my parents, my mum and dad to put in, and sometimes we get my brother to put in, and, and then we go and we buy Seb something special, right? Something bigger than we'd be able to get on our own, right? Every parent in the room knows exactly what I'm talking about because we all do it, right? But as a kid, I was convinced that my mum was conspiring against me. Well, there was an injustice taking place. I was being victimized, and I deserved to be hurt. And I remember saying to my mum, I don't care what you say, that money came in a card with my name on it, which means it's mine, and you're taking it from me. I remember having that conversation with my mum. I'm not saying it's rational, okay? I can acknowledge that. I'm just saying that's where my little brain was at as a 10-year-old or 9-year-old or whatever it was. Never mind the fact that mum and dad just bought me a remote control car and it's a monster truck and it costs like 300 bucks and I broke it like a month or two later. Don't worry about that. Now, I feel like I could have had even more, which means that, that actually I feel like I'm missing out. And so I'm not grateful. I'm actually kind of angry, right? Because that's where ungratefulness takes you. And we tend to focus more on what we lack than what we have. It's just the natural inclination of the human heart because we're broken. That's the flesh. That's our battle, right? Now, I could show you one of the many research papers that would point to the fact that thankfulness is good for you. Right, just from a secular point of view, right? There's a lot of research that would say it's good for your soul. Thankfulness is good for you. But instead, I want to take you to Romans chapter 1. Because Paul says the depth of our sin is revealed in our refusal to glorify God or give thanks to Him. That's what Romans chapter 1 says. That's what sin took from us. And he goes on to say that we exchanged the glory of God for images made to look like us. And we worshipped and served the creature, right, instead of the creator. In other words, the fundamental problem of the human heart is a refusal to worship and give thanks to the one being who is truly worthy. That's the outworking of sin. So I'd say actually thankfulness isn't just good for you. Now, thankfulness connects you with your very purpose. It restores your humanity because we were made to worship. We were made for. It's good for you. No, it's better than that. It's what you were made to do. All right, let's read our passage together. Luke chapter 17. It's a story of some lepers and one leper in particular who came to give thanks to Jesus. You've got your Bibles, I encourage you to read along with this. is Luke chapter 17, verse 11. It says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And he was, as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed, they were healed. One of them, one of the ten, when he saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So we pick it up in verse 11 with Jesus on his way 
to Jerusalem. It's, a, it's kind of like a hint that he's on his way to the cross. It's where Jesus is headed. That's the, the culmination of his ministry. Everything leads up to that moment. Jesus is making his way to the cross. Then Luke says that he's doing that, and as he's going, right, he's making his way along the border between Samaria and Galilee, which is information that most of us probably thought that we could have done without, right? Okay, who cares? He's making his way along the border between Samaria and Galilee, but it's there for a reason. And if you look at the path that Jesus took, and I've got a little picture for you, right? If you look at the path that Jesus took to get to Jerusalem, you'll notice that it's not exactly efficient, kind of weaving all over the place. And it's not because he's trying to avoid the cross. He's not buying time. No. Jesus is encountering people of peace along the way. A Samaritan woman at the well is a great example. Jesus didn't have to be there. He went out of his way to meet her by that well in the middle of the day. He was willing to go off script he was open to the idea of a holy inconvenience or a divine appointment. And this story is no different. It's a way of life that's built on a belief that God is at work all the time, all around us. And so I'm open. He could be at work anywhere. And so I'm always open to get on board with what he's doing. Jesus lived into that. That's why we have the story like this one today. The truth is that Jesus was never too busy to get on board with what God was doing. Now, that's a challenging thought for us. Because I don't know if that's true for me all the time. And sometimes maybe I'm too busy doing fantastic, good things, and I miss out what God is doing around me. Not Jesus. He stops at this village, not told which one, it doesn't even really matter. He stops this random village on his way to Jerusalem. But as he's heading into town, he's approached by this group of lepers. Now, they approach him on his way in because the truth is that's as far as they were allowed to go. Well, leprosy is a bit of a tricky thing in the Bible. It's, it's actually a range of skin conditions that were all kind of grouped together. They didn't have the medical understanding that we do, so they didn't have the ability to figure out which kind of leprosy they had, right? And the common theme amongst all forms of leprosy is that if you were a leper, you were an outcast. Didn't matter what kind of leprosy. There's three different passages in the Old Testament that instruct a leper to shout, unclean, unclean. It's a warning to anyone who came too close. When they were ostracized. They weren't allowed to participate in community. If you think, man, that sounds horrible, it's because it was. It would have been absolutely horrible. They weren't allowed to work. They couldn't see their family. They were cut off from their friends, from any form of community. They often lived on the outskirts of the city because it's the only place they were allowed to go. They weren't even allowed to participate in temple worship. There's actually a special room in the temple called the Mahizah where the lepers could sit and, and, and listen to what was going on. But that's as close as they were allowed to get. In every sense of the word, they were outcasts, cut off from their culture and their community. They were meant to avoid people at all costs. It's what the law instructed them to do. But there was something about Jesus 
Something about his heart and his ministry that gave them the boldness to approach him. It says that they stood at a distance, but even the fact that they approached him at all was a cultural faux pas. They weren't meant to do that. They were meant to stay like 15 meters downwind. That's what the law says. They know enough about Jesus to know this is someone who's approachable. Even for us, even like this. It's just a beautiful image that testifies to the approachability of God. You may not have leprosy, but you might be struggling with some hidden sin like pornography or something like that. It's just eating away at you. And it's so easy to think, oh, God just wouldn't want anything to do with me. Not like this. To trick yourself into thinking that you've got to somehow clean yourself up first and then you know, maybe that door will open for you. But the truth is that outside of him, that'll never happen. And the good news is it doesn't have to. Well, it's what sets Christianity apart. You're not given some kind of path to follow or, or you know, 10 steps to finding enlightenment. You don't have to earn it. Or you don't have to do anything. It's not about balancing the scales in your favor or anything like that. Jesus came to us. And he says that we can come to him as we are. That's one of the most beautiful things about our faith. It defines what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it's so evident in this story. So you look at them. Unclean and unable to do anything about it. They cry out to Jesus. It's a, it's a plea for compassion. Master or, or teacher, have pity on us. We've heard the stories. We, we've heard that you can change people's lives, and we're asking you to change ours. That's their plea for compassion. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt invisible. It's something that Graham has talked about because as he would say it was such a big part of his childhood when his family moved around so much. He was constantly the new kid, constantly felt like he was on the outer, and it made him feel like he was invisible. It's a horrible place to be, right? But I have a feeling that's exactly how these lepers felt. They were the untouchables of the ancient world. Most people ignored them or actively avoided them, but Jesus doesn't. Jesus sees them. Such a simple line, but it's incredibly powerful. Jesus sees them. There's such dignity in that, that he's a God who sees. And it says to me, this isn't some cold, distant being who's unaware or indifferent to the suffering in our world. No, he took on flesh and became one of us. Well, he waded into the mark and the mire. He saw it with his own eyes, and it drove him to the cross because his heart welled up with compassion. And I am forever grateful for a God who sees that he sees me, sees my struggle. There's dignity and hope in that. So he sees them. And then he answers their pleas for compassion, but he does it in a way that probably takes us by surprise. I don't know about you, but I kind of expected Jesus to say, come, not go. 
Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Or come over here and I'll you know, rub some spit in your eye. And that's a little weird, let's be honest, but I suppose if you're blind, you'll take what you can get, right? That's not what Jesus does. It's one of the great mysteries of the New Testament, but if you read the Gospels, you'll see Jesus healing people in, in radically different ways. And sometimes it's just weird. We're not exactly sure why, but, but the way that he did it in this story required an enormous step of faith. And Jesus isn't sending them to the priest because that's where they're going to find healing. No, Leviticus 14 makes it so clear the priest was supposed to take them outside of the camp and examine them, and then off the back of that, confirm they'd already been healed. That was their role. They weren't the source of healing. They confirmed it. And then on the basis of that, they would ceremonially cleanse them and, and, and welcome them back into community. That was the role of the priest. And Jesus was asking them to make an enormous step of faith because he was asking them to trust that his word was enough. Now, if that's me, I'm probably thinking, hey, Jesus, I know what you, I mean, you're the king, you, you know what you're doing, but are you sure that you just, you don't want to lay hands on me? I've got some water, if, you, if that's what you need, like if you're a bit of spit and you can't, no, I've got some water for you if that's what you need. Are you sure you don't want to heal us first and then send us to the priest because that's what the law tells us to do? No, he's just telling us to go, okay, well, I suppose we've just got to step out in faith and hope that it happens along the way. I mean, if you think about it, that's kind of wild. It's an enormous step of faith. But in a really beautiful way, Jesus is including them in the miracle. And I love that. I love that Jesus gives them a part to play because here's the thing, he doesn't have to do that. He doesn't need their obedience. That's not why he does it. It's not because he's like, I can only heal them off the... No, he doesn't need their obedience. He doesn't need them to do anything. But he gives them a part to play. He graces them by including them in the process. I love the interwoven nature of that. It doesn't diminish the sovereignty or the power of God in any way. It just shows us his heart. He's a God who loves to include us in the things of his kingdom. You know, I was praying for someone at Alpha about a month or two ago. They were asking for healing, so Craig... Craig Palmer, Mike Miles, and me kind of gathered around. It's always a privilege, right? Mike went off and got the oil, and he anoints the guy for oil, and then we kind of take turns praying over him. But as I was praying, I just felt like the Lord wanted to say to him, you know, I just feel like the Lord's saying, that the Lord's not done with you yet. He was an older gentleman. He'd been a pastor for a lot of his life, right? Been in ministry for a long, long time, and him and his wife are trying to figure out what God had for them next. But I didn't know that. I only found that out afterward. So as I'm praying and I, and I feel like the Lord wants to say that to this guy, I've got to be honest with you, I was a little nervous. I felt like that's what God wanted me to say. And I tried to do it really humbly, but in the end I had to take a step of faith. There's a little bit of risk in that, right? And I did, and I'm so glad that I did because it wasn't just a blessing for him. You know, it blessed me. It built my faith. 
It brought me a sense of purpose and dignity that in a really small and inconsequential way, I got to be a part of what God was doing. And there's something really cool about that. It's not about me. I didn't do anything, but there's just something awesome about being used, being a part of what God is doing. And you look at this passage, and you look at all the ways through Scripture, and you just see this is his heart. That he loves to include us in the work of the kingdom. He loves to grace us. It's a gift. It's not about us. He doesn't need us, but it's just, it's just his heart. And I love that he gives them healing in a way that actually gives them a part to play. So Jesus tells them to go, and that's exactly what they did. They took a step of faith, good on them, right? But in that step, they experienced the power of God in a way that would have dramatically changed their horizons. They went from having no future to actually having a hope, to be able to making plans for their life, having a future. He didn't just bless them with physical healing. He gave them their lives back. They could go home. They could work, they could, they could support their family, they could see the people that they love and, and actually live again. But Jesus flipped their world upside down. But the truth is that he wanted to do more than that. Unmistakable in this passage. He wanted to do so much more than that. Just look at Jesus' reaction. He says, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner, the Samaritan? He's not condemning the man who came back. He's just saying, where's everyone else? Can't they see it? Don't they understand? That was just a foretaste of what's to come. I am the treasure hidden in the field. I'm the pearl you sell everything for. That's me. I'm the prize. You settled for a miracle, but that miracle was a signpost that pointed to me, and you missed it. You missed the real meaning, the real prize. Nine of them walked away healed and restored, and that's incredible. It's an enormous blessing. Jesus changed their life. They walked away healed and restored. It's a good gift of God. But the Samaritan is the only one who had the eyes to see. The only one who grabbed hold of the real prize. And so this is the crux of this passage. This is the point. If you take nothing away apart from this, this is it, right? You've got to understand God's greatest gift to humanity has always been and will always be himself. Himself. Nine of them missed it. They missed the greatest gift that God has to give. They missed it. What a shame. One of them got it. He came back because he saw Jesus for who he is. That's the King of Kings. He's got his arms open wide for me. That's the real prize. Now, once again, Luke puts in some pretty unusual detail. He says that one of them throws him, he says one of them threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, but then he puts in this little unusual, what we think is probably somewhat unnecessary detail. He says, and he was a Samaritan. 
But if you know anything about Samaritans, you'll know that there's a sense of irony in that. I can almost guarantee you the Pharisees would have been spitting chips at the idea of a Samaritan entering the kingdom of God. Not on my watch. Before me, absolutely not. A good Jew wanted nothing to do with the Samaritan. They, they absolutely looked down on them. There's reasons for that. They were no longer holy or set apart. They'd intermarried with the Assyrians. They'd taken on their religious beliefs, including their idols. It was this weird interwoven mix of Jewish religion, right? But then also this idol worship all in there. It's confusing. They had their own temple, their own system of worship. The truth is, they'd strayed so far from what God had called them to be. The other lepers are all Jews. So if anyone should have had the eyes to see, it should have been them. If anyone should have received the kingdom, you ask, it would have been them. And yet they walk away. It was the Samaritan. The outsider, one who'd been written off, in a sense, the least likely out of all of them who actually received the greater prize. Because he had the eyes to see, eyes of faith. And those eyes meant that he came back and threw himself at Jesus' feet and worshipped him. Jesus says, rise and go, your faith has made you well. But he's not talking about physical healing He's already received that, and so did all the others. And Jesus is talking about salvation. The opportunity to walk with the King of Kings for all eternity. And he walked away with sonship, with an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. He walked away with the, the shalom of God, the peace of God that goes beyond all understanding. But he also walked away with his humanity restored and his purpose renewed as he bowed down to worship. Well, we sang about it in one of the songs earlier. So the natural cry of the human is what? To praise God. It's what we were created to do. That we were created, we were meant to walk with God, to live under his rule and reign, that he might care for us. And then in response to that great love and care, we might worship. That's what we were created to do. There's nothing more human, more in line with our created purpose than worship. That's what we were created to do. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. The delight is incomplete until it's expressed. It's frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of a road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. If it were possible for a created soul to fully appreciate, that is to love and delight in the worthiest object of all, and simultaneously, at every moment, to give this delight perfect expression, then that soul would be supremely blessed. 
The Scotch of the Westminster Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But here's what C.S. Lewis says, that those are the same thing. To enjoy fully is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is also inviting us to enjoy him. That's why John Piper changed the Westminster Catechism, his own little version, from the chief end of man is to enjoy God and glorify him forever. He flipped it and he said, no, no, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Nothing brings God more glory than the joy of his people expressed in thankfulness and worship. And here's the thing, it's right. He's worthy. He deserves it. That's why Jesus is saying, where are the other nine? Didn't I heal ten lepers? I did, I know I did. What a shame. They settled for physical healing. I wanted them to glorify God by enjoying him forever. That's what I wanted for them. The opportunity to know and love and worship the king of kings forever. That's what Jesus comes with. He's saying, what a shame. You settled for physical healing. I had so much more that I wanted to give you. I want to invite the band to come back up and lead us in worship. I want to finish by giving you an opportunity to worship. I don't know about you, but I just don't think that I spend enough time worshiping God for who he is. Not for what he's done or what he's going to do, but just just for who he is. Brahma talks about seeking his face and seeking his hands. It's not wrong to seek his hands, by the way. It's good to pray for things. He loves us. He loves it when we come to him for help. He loves it. I've been really challenged lately about how much time I spend with God when there's absolutely no agenda, no list of needs or desires, nothing that I want to achieve or ask God to change, none of it. No. Even though all of that is good, I'm grateful for the opportunity to do all of that right, but sometimes I think we just need to come and sit in his presence. Sometimes I think we just need to seek his face. We just need to worship. We just need to thank him for who he is. God knows he's worthy. Is that true? Nobody agrees. What a shame. He's absolutely worthy of all the praise that we can bring and so much more. Why don't you spend some time right now just, just worshiping Jesus for who he is. You can get on your knees, you can lift up your hands, you can do whatever you want. This is just between you and the Lord, but let's thank God for God. Let's worship him for who he is. I'll give you a minute or two, just just between you and the God, why don't you spend some time worshiping Jesus?
we want to declare your goodness, your kindness, your faithfulness. Thank you, Jesus, that your mercies are new every day. That you're always for us, always working for our good. And we know, Jesus, far above anything you've ever given us, far above anything you could do for us, the greatest gift that you have ever offered is yourself, the opportunity to know you, the opportunity to rightly bow down before you and to worship. It's what we were created to do. There's dignity in that, divine purpose in that, significance. So we thank you, Jesus, for revealing yourself to us, for rescuing us, encountering us, freeing us from the bonds of sin that we might worship. We don't really have the words to do dignity to that, but we come as we are, and as one people, we want to just lift up the name of Jesus. We agree with Philippians 2. And the name of Jesus is above every other name. So we pray in this place, Jesus, may you receive the glory that is due your name. Because your people just love you. Found joy in you and express that joy in a way that does you glory. This we pray for in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.